Thank you very much, Becca. How is everybody doing? You're all looking beautiful today with your nice summer tan glow going on. So um, I, I, I've got a reputation for speaking slowly, haven't I? I've only got 10 minutes today, so I've just like got a drip of oxygen going in just to save time on the breathing. And uh, so you better... Put your seatbelts on because um, we've got 10 minutes. My heart is full. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for what is already going on. We thank you for what we're about to see. We thank you for these guys that are about to be baptised and are about to nail their colours to the mast and to go public and to say, I'm jumping in with all that I've got. Lord God, we thank you so much that we get to be a part of your plan and a part of what you are doing here on planet Earth. Lord God, thank you. Bless us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you want to say today to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking all year, haven't we, at the theme of the fact that we are under construction. God is building here. He is building here in us. He's building in our communities. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a builder. He knew how to work with stone and he's not forgotten how to chip away at the hard parts of our hearts. He's not forgotten how to rebuild the broken areas of our community and of our lives. And as we look around us, Jesus has got the answer. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, look, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been building a movement and building a people to, 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 to march across planet earth and to what it says in, in uh, Colossians 1 verse 20, it says that God is reconciling all things back to God's original plan. And when it says all things, do you know what? I've checked it out in the original Greek and all things means all things, every last speck of the cosmos was affected by the fall. But the good news is, is that every last speck of the cosmos has been redeemed and has been and is on its way to being restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? I've already preached myself happy. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Nehemiah. Becca talked to us uh, last week about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this awesome book in the, in the middle of the Bible. It comes about 1,000 years after the time of Moses, 400 years before the time of Jesus. The children of Israel have been 70 years in exile in Babylon. And then at the end of that 70 years, they have the opportunity to go back but the irony is, is that after all of their prayers, after all of their desires, after all of their longing to go back, only 2% of the population actually rise up and say, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go and we're going to do something about it. Why? Because we don't want to live. We don't, why, why would we want to give up on our comfort? Why would we want to give up on this great new life that we've got to go back to a pile of rubble, to go back to something that is going to take a lot of work? And uh, isn't it true that, that, that so often it is so much easier, isn't it, to live in our comfort? It's so much easier to enjoy the good things that we've got around us when the reality is, is that the, 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 the job and the charge that God has given to us over here is in rubble. And we need an army to rise up to do something about it. And yet only 2% of the population go back to do anything about it. And so the rest of the children of Israel, they carry on in this place in Babylon and... Um, 
This is about 40 years after that moment of them going back. And we come to this guy called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a man of prominence. He's the cup bearer to the king, which means that uh, he would have been like the, the chief of the bodyguard. When we think about that, we think that he's like a slave who has to try the food to make sure that it's not poisoned before. But actually, Nehemiah would have been a man of incredible prominence. He would have been like uh, uh, the, the, the king's right-hand man. This was the guy who would take a bullet for the king. And isn't it incredible how even in the darkest situations, even in the most difficult moments, God takes His people and He raises them to a place of prominence. He takes them and He puts them in the courts of the King. And we see this right throughout the Scriptures. You know, Joseph is accused of of rape and he's sent to prison. And there in the darkest dungeon in the prison, God raises him to a place of prominence. Because God is always looking to put His people in a place where they can make a difference. And so here Nehemiah is. And it says in the beginning of of chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed? Now, Becca spoke last week about, about the fact that, that when Nehemiah, he, he, he saw the rubble, he saw, when, when he heard the story about what was going on in Jerusalem, the Bible says that his heart breaks with it. His heart breaks at the fact that this city is destroyed. This city that was supposed to be raised up to be a testimony to the presence and the power of God was lying in ruins. And the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. Now it says in Proverbs that um, a man who doesn't have control over his soul is like a city whose walls have been broken down. And, who's, and, 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 and essentially like we're all like this city. When we don't have control over our soul, there's brokenness. And we live in a world where there's so much brokenness. We were at the, um, the Little Hampton Town show yesterday and... Um, we had these, these letters put up to say, to, to say hope. And we got people to come and to write down their prayers or their hopes for the area. And the amount of people that are so broken and that don't have any hope and that don't have any, any belief that things can actually be better. And when we're in that place, the enemy can come in. And the walls of a city were really, really important because if the walls of the city were broken down, then it left the place open to attack. And here Nehemiah is in his place of comfort, in this place of opulence, in a palace, serving the king, uh, in, in, in a place of importance, and his heart breaks for the city. How much more should our heart break? How much more should our heart break for the things around us that are burnt down, the things around us where there is brokenness, the lives around us where the walls are crumbling and where they're broken down and where, and where, there is, uh, where people are open to the attack of the enemy? How much more should our hearts break? And Nehemiah's heart in that moment breaks. And the Bible says that he begins to pray. And it says that he begins to fast. Now, the fascinating thing is, is that in chapter one, it says in the month of Kislev, uh, that he hears this news and he begins to fast and pray. But then chapter two talks about it being the month of Nisan. Now that's four months, four months of Nehemiah crying out to God, 
four months of Nehemiah saying, God, you must, you've got to do something about this. He recognised his, uh, his um, helplessness, his inability to do anything about it. And he cries out to God for all of that time. And, and you know, isn't it, isn't it true that so often we, we want God to do something awesome through us, don't we? All of us, you know, who, who doesn't want God to do something awesome through them in this place, right? We're all like, God, why, why don't you pick? We're, we're, like, we're like the donkey from Shrek, aren't we? Like, pick me, oh, pick me, God, pick me. And we all want God to do something amazing. We want God to, to touch this community. We want God to heal our family. We want God to do this. We want God to do that. We want God to, to do something great in our generation. I don't know about you, but I do. Feel free to get, you know, vocally engaged. It's allowed. It's permitted. Even heckle me if you want. I don't care. But um, we, we, we all want to do something great for God. And yet so few of us are willing to allow God to do something great in us. And you see, God is always wanting to do something in us before He does something through us. He wants to do something here in the depths of our soul and break us with the things that break His heart so that we can bring His healing to planet Earth. It's when something happens inside here. And that, my friends, only happens when we come into the secret place. The battle is fought and won on our knees. And Nehemiah understood this and he prayed and he cried out to God. And we see the result of this incredible time of Nehemiah seeking God's face because, you know, in a moment he comes before this, this pagan king and the king's heart is turned to him and the king offers him everything that he asks for. We see the result of this time of prayer because Nehemiah, he then goes back to Israel, to Jerusalem and within 52 days, he does what a previous generation has been unable to do in 40 years. In 52 days, God shows up and God comes and God does the impossible because that's what happens when we pray. That's what happens when we come into the secret place. That's what happens when we imbibe the atmosphere of heaven and bring that into the situation. Earth becomes permeated with the atmosphere of heaven and the impossible becomes possible and great things happen. I know for me, in my life, the, the moments that have been the most incredible, powerful moments of my life have not been because of my intelligence or because of my ability to do anything. They have been because I have been in the secret place with my father. I've been in that place with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he has given the ability to see the things happen in those moments. And so Nehemiah spends that time. We don't have time to go through all of the story, but essentially it goes on and it says Nehemiah goes back and he he, he goes around um, the walls of Jerusalem. He sees the extent of the problem. He The, the, the king of um of Persia, Artaxerxes, he partners with him. He gives him everything that he needs to get the job done. And he goes to Israel. He inspires the leaders of Israel who could have, I mean, they could have said, look, Nehemiah, bless your heart. We've tried this before, Nehemiah. I mean, you know, we, we've been here for 40 years. You've come, you're a young whippersnapper. You're full of passion. It's brilliant. But, but we've tried to do something about this, Nehemiah. So, you know, it, it, it ain't going to work. How many times have we heard people say that to us before when we've shared our dreams with them? And Nehemiah, interestingly, when he comes, he doesn't share his dream, first of, first of all. He actually spends some time. He spends three days, interesting, whenever you see the number three in the Bible. He spends three, spends three days 
ways there, just sussing out the land. You know, sometimes we have to be a bit careful with our dreams. Sometimes we have to be careful who we share our dreams with. There's time and time again throughout the Bible that there's a time of waiting that God puts in the lives of people. I think about Elizabeth, when God says to Elizabeth, you're going to have a child and she's elderly and she's been barren. And, you know, she could have gone out, she could have run out and told everybody about this. But the Bible says she hides herself away for six months. Why did she hide herself away for six months? Because I think that so often when we share the dreams that God's given to us with the wrong people, their criticisms and their discouragement can actually abort the plan of God that he has for our lives before they come to a time when God's ready to birth them within our lives. And so God does this all throughout the scriptures. Moses is called by God and he spends 40 years of his life trying to prove that he's somebody. And then God takes him to the wilderness. And for 40 years of his life, God shows him that he's nobody without him. And then with the last 40 years of Moses' life, God shows him what God can do with a nobody and turn them into a somebody, right? And so God does this, this time of waiting again and again and again. But then he arrives and he inspires the leaders and they get up to do something about it. And it says that in that moment, in the, in the moment of action, it says this in verse 10, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of Israel. It goes on and it says later on, it says, um, it says later on that uh, they replied um, uh, in, in verse 19, but when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gershom the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Verse 20, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And notice something, the opposition doesn't come when Nehemiah is praying about it. The opposition doesn't come when Nehemiah is making plans about what he is going to do. The opposition doesn't come when the provision comes from the king. The opposition doesn't come when, when Nehemiah goes and he susses out the land and he, and, he, and he looks to see what needs to be done. The opposition comes when he stands up and when he takes action when he takes action. And I believe God is looking for a people of action. God is looking for a people who don't just talk about it, but who actually do it. How many of you know that the enemy isn't actually very scared about us in here saying, oh God is a lion. Great. I love that song. It's awesome. But what the enemy is scared about is when we live the reality of the fact that our God is a lion out there. That is what freaks him out. And that's the moment when the enemy rises up and, and Sambala and Tobiah, they come against him. And it's really interesting because Sambala, it says is a, it, he's a Horonite. So he is a Moabite. So he is, he's outside the people of God, if you like. So he represents opposition that comes from the outside against us. How many of you know we expect that, right? We expect people who don't know God to not be too pleased about the fact that we, that we believe what we believe. But then it talks about Tobiah as well. And Tobiah, his name in Hebrew means, it means uh, Yahweh is good. And his father had a Hebrew name. His son had a Hebrew name. It says in Nehemiah um, chapter 12 that he's good friends with the priesthood. 
for all intents and purposes, he, he, I think it's abundantly clear that he is on the inside, right? So he represents opposition on the inside. It's one thing when other people oppose us, but it's, it's, it's more painful when that opposition comes from the inside. But both of them represent this religious spirit because, because the, the Moabite religion was all about pleasure. It was all about saying, I am God. It was all about uh, a key element of it was, was the uh, element of sacrificing children. And it's this, this, this attitude that is willing to live for me, myself and I and nothing else, even if that means I've got to sacrifice the future generation. That's what Sambalat represents. Tobiah is, this, is, is, the, is the other side of the religious spirit that is all about control. It's all about the status quo. It's all about we're very happy about you having your temple. We're very happy about you having your rituals in the middle. But don't let that affect the rest of the world. Don't let that affect everything else that is going on around us. The religious spirit will always seek to control and always seek to constrain. But the kingdom of God is always advancing. The kingdom of God is wild and reckless and raging and furious and beautiful and chaotic and incredible. And that's the kingdom that we are a part of. And that's the kingdom that Nehemiah was, was establishing as he walked out and as he said, no, we will arise and we will build. And they come and they say, you're going to rebel against the king? Do you really think you're going to get anywhere? And you know how Nehemiah responds? He says, you come at me with your talk about the king, but I serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is above anything that you could throw at me. So is that all you've got? Give me your best shot, Sambala. Give me your best shot to buy because when the dust settles, I'm going to be the one that stands, that is standing here. And we've got five people today who, is it five or is it six now? Six people today who are going to nail their colours to the mark, who are going public with their faith, who are saying, I choose to live and die for Jesus Christ. That is my decision. That is where I am going. And believe me, I, this is an exhortation to you. It's not supposed to cause you to be afraid. The enemy will want to attack. He will want to come. He'll want to get in your face. But when the dust settles, you will be standing and you'll be the one saying, our God is more than able. We are more than conquerors. We have the victory that overcomes the world. This is our faith. God is raising up an army of people who are not willing to just be comfortable, not willing to just sing their nice songs. The presence of God, the Spirit of God is not a jacuzzi for us to just enjoy the bubbles. It is a mighty rushing river that changes the world everywhere it goes. Amen.